Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 4. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 4. We're continuing with our series of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And this morning we began the part of the lineage dealing with the actual kingly line starting with David. And of course we took time to give a quick little summary a character study of David. And now we're going to hit the next king in line, a summary statement of David's son, Solomon, who is next to reign in David's stead. Of course, now we're entering into a section, especially starting on Wednesday when we hit Rehoboam, that we're going to be hitting a lot of the kings of Judah that perhaps you may not be familiar with, but it is good to know, especially not only they're recorded in God's word, but they are part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to see how God wove this tapestry from the beginning to the end to get us to the Lord Jesus Christ. But as for now, please take your copy of the Word of God, and I want you to look with me in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 4. And we're going to turn to several scriptures tonight to examine the life as a character study of Solomon. And let's start in 1 Kings chapter number 4. Notice with me in verse number 29. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, and Kolkul, and Darda, and sons of Mahol. And his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake three thousand proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. Now as we examine this, I'm not going to have you highlight a scripture at the moment, but as we examine the life of Solomon, and we'll do a character study on Solomon, we want to summarize his life like this. That a good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. A good beginning does not guarantee a good ending. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we examine the life of Solomon, I'm asking that not only would we learn more about Bible history and learn more about the historical figure of Solomon, but we would also apply these things to our life and understand the warning that we have in Solomon's life that even though we may have the blessings of God now, that any time that we turn away and walk away, we also walk away from the blessings and the presence and the fellowship that you desire to have with us. I'm asking that because of this, that we would be warned and reminded that we should stay close to Jesus and have that close fellowship that you desire to have with us. Thank you, Lord, that we could trust you with your work. Even now, the best I know how, I surrender myself to you, to my desires, my goals, my ambition, my lips, the words that come out, my thoughts. I give them all to you. And that you do with what you want, with what you want, that we can trust you to do your own work through your word. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three biblical books that are attributed to King Solomon, meaning that we recognize that he was the human penman as God inspired him through the Holy Spirit, and that God had used Solomon in different aspects of his life. And when you examine those books, you could see these three books of the Bible actually line up to the different phases within Solomon's life. The three books that were written, uh, penned by him as the human penman, would be the Song of Solomon, Proverbs 
and Ecclesiastes. And with each of these books, we'll do just a quick little snapshot of each one as we look at Solomon's life and place them together. The very first thing that we want to look at is King Solomon's early life. And we see this with the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon. And let's look at his early life. Well, if you don't mind, let's actually turn to the Song of Solomon and just grab uh, a quick little overview. The Song of Solomon found within the poetical books. If you're in 1 Kings, you're in the historical book section. Just keep turning and you'll come into the poetical book section of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon, and notice with me as we turn there in the Song of Solomon. Now, we've already hit earlier this year and examined the Song of Solomon, but just as an overview, in the early part of King Solomon's life before he was king, he was actually raised outside of the city of Shunem. And there outside of the city of Shunem, he happened to fall in love with a little Shunemite girl. And for some reason, every time she would ask about his background and ask where he came from, he would always dodge the question, but they became and fell in love with each other. One day he came to her and said, I'm sorry, I have to go to Jerusalem. My uh, folks are putting me in Jerusalem. But I guarantee that one day I will come back for you. And so the Shuamite girl took him at his word. And every day she would dream about her her wonderful shepherd boy that she had met. And she would talk about him. And all throughout the Song of Solomon, you would have a nice snapshot of her talking about her, her wonderful man that she loved. And you could see as he begin, she begins to explain over and over to mama. And mama just roll her eyes and just repeat, oh yes, uh, hair's like a raven. And she talks about all the things that are going on. And then she would start to have nightmares. And she would start looking so much for her uh, shepherd boy. And he never came back. That she started to have nightmares. And she would wake up in inside of her nightmare. She'd wake up. And that her shepherd boy had come back for her. And knocked on the door and called for her. And she wasn't ready. And she... Uh, said no let me sleep some more and then she would wake up inside of the dream and go to the door and find that she missed her sh uh, shepherd boy and she would start asking the guards have you seen my shepherd boy have you seen my shepherd boy and this would be a reoccurring dream that she would have over and over and over but that's how intense she was to find her shepherd boy. That one day she said, my shepherd boy is coming back for me. I love him. He promised he's going to come back to me. I know he's going to come back for me. Well, time passed and more time passed. And one day the announcement came that King Solomon of Jerusalem was coming to this little city of Shunem. And the city of Shunem had never had or wasn't used to having royal visitors like this. And the Bible goes on. And again, I took much time to explain it when we overviewed it. How the dust began to uh, cloud up on the horizon before the caravan got there. And the soldiers were marching. And how the sun would glint on it. And the carriage came. And how beautiful everything was set up. And King Solomon's thing. And the little Shunammite girl wasn't there. She's, her mama said, are you going to go see the king? I'm not looking for a king. I'm looking for my shepherd boy. And sure enough, when King Solomon came, the one person he was looking for was the one person who wasn't there. And indeed, that shepherd boy was King Solomon. And now that he was king, he had come back for her just like he promised. And they took that Shunammite girl and he took her to Jerusalem and there they got married. Again, I went and expounded all of this earlier this year and took some time for it. But notice, if you don't mind, the theme verse of Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse number 4. It says, He brought me to the banquet house and his banner over me was love. And so as she came back to Jerusalem, they would have the flags waving and just celebration for that wedding day as they went to Jerusalem. And she could say truly this, his banner over me is love. And we could see Solomon in his early days that it was one of innocence and one just of 
of just uh, true love. Many people believe that this was a true story of uh, the love between Solomon and the Shudamite girl. And as was recorded earlier where we read in 1 Kings chapter number 4, that Solomon ended up writing over a thousand songs and many proverbs. And the early part of his life as he's getting settled to be king was one where he was just simple-minded in love with a girl, had a desire to be close to God, we understand that the highest, holiest relationship in all the world is between a husband and a wife. And the highest, holiest relationship in all the universe is between a person and God. And we're thankful that as we look at the uh, Song of Solomon, that it is a picture that one day we have a shepherd that we're looking for. And when he comes back, he's coming as a king. And that we're just looking forward to his return. And we don't know when it's going to be, but he promised he was going to return. And that hopefully you have that same heart that you're looking forward to that soon coming king who promised he would return back to us to receive his bride unto himself to that wonderful wedding day. And we could see the early part of Solomon's life. Well, as time went on, we could see that Solomon developed a good, close walk with God. Notice as we go back to the book of 1 Kings, and notice with me in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3, that God actually appeared to Solomon twice. And that Solomon had a privilege that few others in the Bible ever had to have a personal walk And when God manifested and appeared to Solomon himself. And what a walk and a relationship that he had. Of course, Solomon's father was King David, who was a man after God's own heart. And that David had taken the time to raise and teach David to walk, or to teach Solomon to walk with the Lord. Notice as God actually appeared to Solomon. Look with me in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter number 3. And notice if you don't mind, 1 Kings chapter 3. Let's start at verse number 1. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and, um, and brought her into the city of David until he made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house to build unto the name of the Lord unto those days. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. And the king went unto Gibeon to sacrifice there, for there was a great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what shall what shall i give or what i shall give thee and solomon said thou hast shown unto thy servant david my father great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee and thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so, uh, this thy so great a people? Let me pause there. So Solomon had a walk with God and a relationship and a fellowship with God. And there was a time that he actually took time to give a thousand sacrifices unto God. He was just trying to be as devoted as he could with what knowledge he had of God. And so God spoke to Solomon and said, listen, I'll give you a request. What request would you have of me or God? Now, could you imagine being given a blank check like that from God? What would you ask for? Would you ask for your house to be paid off? Would you ask for um, children? Would you ask for this? What would you ask? I mean, could you imagine being just given just a blank request check from God? What would you want? What would you ask for? 
Well, as Solomon replied, Solomon approached God with very much humility. He says, listen, you showed great kindness to my father, David. And listen, you showed great mercy to me just to even allow me to be king. You know, he could have come to the attitude that said, listen, I deserve to be king. No, he was very recognized in the fact that God placed him to be king. And it was of God's grace and of God's mercy. He was understanding that he was like a little child that didn't know how to get out of the rain. You who have children understand that. Sometimes the kids play outside. It's raining outside. Really? And it doesn't bother them, but they don't understand. You need to get out of the rain. And he was kind of saying, God, as I'm king, I now have the responsibility for this great nation. By the way, it's your people. I recognize I don't have enough sense to come out, to come in. I don't know anything. I need you. And I need you to give me wisdom to have discernment, to know what is good, to know what is evil for this great people. Now that's a humble attitude. I need you. He recognizes I can't do this. It's not me. It's not my ability. I need you. So how did God respond? Notice would be in verse number 10. And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast thou asked riches for thyself, nor asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there is none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall rise any like unto thee. And I have also given thee which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all of thy days." And if thou will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. What an amazing conversation he was able to have with God. God gave him a blank check in return. He said, all I want is wisdom. And God says, because you didn't ask for these other things, I'm also going to give you those other things because wisdom is the principal thing. That's what you need the most, and I'm willing to grant it for it. Now, again, that's an amazing encounter that he had with God, but it was not his last. Turn with me, if you don't mind, uh, to the book of 1 Kings chapter 9, and we can see he had another encounter with God. Now, what we're doing is laying a foundation that as he's king and now entering into the main part of his life, he's entering into it with the wisdom of a king that God had granted to him because of his walk with God that he had established. Notice with me 1 Kings chapter number 9. And let's start in verse number 1. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire which he pleased to do. The Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he appeared unto him in Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication and thou hast made that thou hast made before me. And I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou will walk before me as thy father uh, as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee and will keep my statutes and my judgments. Then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever. As I promised to David thy father saying there shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children, and will not keep my statutes, or my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel out from the land which was given them. And this house, which I have hallowed for my name, will I cast out of my sight. And Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people." 
And at this house which is high, everyone that passeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done this unto the land and to thy house? Then they shall answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have taken hold upon other gods, and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought them upon this evil. Now again, God appeared a second time to Solomon. And he says, listen, you've now put the temple and I'm going to put my name here and it's going to be associated with my name forever. In addition, I am going to reiterate the promise that I gave David that there's always going to be someone from this lineage to sit upon the throne. But I want to give you a warning that the key to this is that you stay walking close to me. And that any time that you or your children turn away from walking me and start serving other gods and serving false idols, there's going to be a destruction. There's going to be things that happen. And all the world is going to say, what happened here? And the only response is that they turn from walking from the true and living God to start serving other idols. Now again, what we're emphasizing here is that Solomon had a real, not a fake, a real walk with God. A relationship with God. And during this time that Solomon was used to pin the book of Proverbs. Turn with me if you don't mind to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Now Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And it's a, a short statements that were made to pass on little nuggets of truth. Little nuggets of wisdom in a clear concise way that would be easy to remember and easy to grab a hold on. And it was meant kind of like the idea of a father giving proverbs, giving wisdom, giving advice to like a son to teach them to walk wisely in their life and to work. Now again, we're not going to cover all 31 Proverbs, but we're going to look at Proverbs chapter number one, the very first proverb, and we want to gain something as we're seeing Solomon, the man of wisdom, and as he's used to pen this book of the Bible with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And notice with me in Proverbs chapter number one. Proverbs chapter one, and start with me in verse number one. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Notice this, he starts giving the purpose of why, all, why do we have this book of Proverbs? To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equality, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall obtain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's just examine this really quick. In this we understand there are 10 things here that we learn of the what Proverbs do. Notice the first thing is wisdom. To know wisdom. The idea of wisdom here we know is obtained from the fear of the Lord. The Bible talks about Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge <laughs> And the fear of the Lord later on in Proverbs is the beginning of wisdom. Now we've talked before about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is an emotional response from knowing who he is. It comes from an intimate personal knowledge of God. Now again what we're seeing in Solomon's life is this emphasis that he walked with God. And he had a personal relationship with God. A personal fellowship with God. And as you have that personal relationship with God the very beginning of the foundation is the knowledge. An intimate knowledge of God that produces an emotional response. Fear. And because of that we're able to produce wisdom. We know over and over that wisdom comes from above. Wisdom comes from God. And the book of Proverbs here is trying to give us the idea where to get wisdom from. Wisdom comes from God. Notice we see something else in here. The word instruction. This idea of instruction carries the idea of teaching something formally unknown. By the way, all good teachers do this. You go from the known to the unknown. You take where they are 
and help move them to the next level. This is why we teach differently in different audiences. That for those who don't know anything about the Bible, we have to start where what they do know and move them forward. For if we're teaching a class of people that have been Bible college and whatnot, we take from where they are and move forward. You just find where people are at. Right now we're living in a world where there are some people who have never heard the name of Jesus here in America. And so we have to start from the known to the unknown. We have to begin with God and then walk them through. That we understand this is the idea of instruction. And what Proverbs does is do that same thing. It takes us from the known and brings us to what we don't know. That's what the idea of instruction is. Teaching something that's formerly unknown. Making it known to the student. Notice as it goes on, we see the word perceive. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive. The idea perceive here carries the idea to recognize evil early. By the way, that's part of wisdom. To recognize evil early. You don't want to be married to someone for a long time and then realize they're evil. That's not a good situation. You don't want to have friends who influence you and then find out, Uh, deep into that friendship that, hey, you know what? They're not the best person to hang around. So the idea of perceiving is to be able to identify evil early. And by the way, the book of Proverbs helps do that. It helps us to identify and line up. Are my friends good friends? Are the influences that I have good influences? The book of Proverbs, through wisdom as we get it from God, helps us to recognize evil early. Notice we see another word, verse number three, receive. To receive. The word receive carries the idea to take or accept right things. Making it part of your life. And so as we read through the Proverbs and as we apply it, we're supposed to make it a part of our life. This is part of what the, the instructions in Proverbs is doing is teaching us to make it a part of our life. Again, we're getting uh, into more deep. I'll cover more of Proverbs in 2024 when I do the life and ministry of, of Solomon, go through Ecclesiastes, hit Proverbs. So you wait two more years and I'll dive into this deeper. But for now, we're just giving a quick overview. Notice if you don't mind, we see another word, justice. To receive the instruction of wisdom, Justice. The idea of justice carries the idea of giving each his due. Isn't that what justice is? Making sure that people get what they're supposed to get. The idea of justice, giving each his due. Then we have the idea of judgment. The word judgment carries the idea comparing one thing to another. If someone is going to judge according to the law, they're comparing what someone did and they compare it to the law. Does that make sense? If we are going to have judgment, there are some things that we have to compare it against. The Bible. And so the Bible gives us something we can judge off of. That person over there is just a blind drunk. That's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Because we're able to judge it according to the Bible. We're able to discern and use this and compare it to what the Bible says. Does that make sense? The book of Proverbs helps us to be able to judge. To be able to have something, to have a standard to look over things about. Notice as we go on, we have the idea of equity, equality. Verse number three, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. This carries the idea to distribute justice. We had talked about before that justice is giving uh, what is due, what is owed, making sure they get what's right. The word of equity carries the idea to distribute justice, to make sure that everyone is getting what they're supposed to get. And treating people fairly, when you use that thing, doesn't mean that we treat people the same. It means that we treat them justly, that they get what they're supposed to get. Does that make sense? Then we come to the idea of uh, subtlety. Uh, Notice with me, uh, subtlety. I can't speak today. You guys know what I'm... Verse number four. To give subtlety to the simple. Now, in the Bible, the word simple is a basic type of fools. Remember, there are five words that are translated fool in the book of Proverbs. Each one is different. You have the simple fool, the silly fool, the scornful fool, the... Now, I'm not remembering the other ones, but there are five types of fools. The silly fool is one that just has no discernment whatsoever. He doesn't understand that there's consequences for his action. Well, you know what the book of Proverbs does? The book of Proverbs helps them to have subtlety to 
the simple. The word subtlety in this case here carries the idea of a thin measurement, thin and fine, to give just enough. And so what the book of Proverbs does is able to give wisdom to those who have none. Those that don't have any discernment. This is why as young people, teenagers, one of the greatest things you could do every day is not only read your Bible, but but to read a proverb every day. To be able to give you some help on areas that you don't even know you need help with. To be able to give you wisdom on things that you don't even know yet that you need. To give subtlety to the simple. Then notice it uses the word knowledge. To give subtlety to the simple. To the young man knowledge and discretion. The word knowledge in this case is carrying the idea of clear understanding. You know what young people need? Clear understanding. Not vague, not muddied. They need to know clearly this is right, this is not right. Do this, don't do this. They need clear boundaries. That's what the books of Proverbs does is help give us knowledge, clears up the waters, lets us know and leads us on a plain path. Then notice the word discretion, discretion. Oh, people need discretion. The word discretion here is knowing what to do and when to do it. You know, there's a right time for certain actions and there's a right thing to do in certain actions. We need to have discretion. Somebody says, well, I need to be honest. Yes, always be honest. So I'm going to go tell my mom that the dress that she's wearing makes her look fat. Not wise. All right? Not wise at all. All right? So discretion has the idea of knowing what to do and when to do it. There are times where you just smile. All right? There are times where you don't repeat everyone's business. When we taught in Christian school... At the beginning of the year, you get all the parents here and we make a deal. All right, parents, you don't believe half of what the kids tell you about the school and we won't believe half of what the kids tell about you. Why? Because kids will tell everything. They have no discretion. You know what I caught my mama doing last night? I can't wait to tell everybody at Sunday school class. It's one of the joys of Sunday school teaching is that you never know what they're going to tell about. You teach them over time discretion. You know what? Things that happen at home, we're not going to go tell our Sunday school class. All right? It's not that you're trying to hide them. It's just they, that audience doesn't need to know. Does that make sense? That's the idea of discretion. And by the way, the Proverbs do that. By the way, how in the world, we know that God is the source. And that's where we're going to. How in the world could Solomon write all these Proverbs of wisdom? Because he had a walk with God. And God gave him knowledge and understanding. And he was able to write this done by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help us. And we're thankful that someone had that walk with God. Now as you read the book of Proverbs, you realize that God is concerned with every area of your life. And by the way, the book of Proverbs does that. By the way, one other thing we want to hit is this idea of wisdom. This word wisdom carries the idea of skilled carries the idea that someone can learn wisdom. And you can learn wisdom. Someone that's without wisdom can learn wisdom. It's a skill. And part of the word instruction carries the idea of discipline. We see that towards the end in verse number seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here it's talking about the wise. They're going to have the fear of the Lord. They're going to learn from God. And they're going to be with him. But fools, here's another word for fool, are going to despise. By the way, this is an emotional response that they hate. They do not like wisdom or instruction. Remember, the word wisdom carries the idea of skilled. It carries along with it that we could learn with it. And that instruction uh, carries the idea of discipline. Fools hate discipline. They hate learning the skill. They hate anything that they're going to have to work for. By the way, we all work with some fools like that, who no matter what you tell them, they want to do it their own way. Those are foolish people. And they're going to end up hurting themselves or someone else in the long run, the more that they shun wisdom and instruction. Now, by the way, we're seeing Proverbs in the middle of King Solomon's life when he had a law a walk with God and a relationship with God. And he was using that wisdom to help instruct us. And I'm glad that he didn't keep it to himself. 
Which brings us to the third book and the end of King Solomon's life. If you don't mind, let's go to the historical passage first. 1 Kings chapter number 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And then we'll talk more about the, the book of Ecclesiastes. 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's look at this third phase in Solomon's life. 1 Kings chapter 11. And notice with me in verse number 1. Now again, all I'm doing is an overview, a shotgun. Uh, we're doing a character study examining his life. We can't take anything in too much detail, but we're trying to give an overview so you can have a grasp of King Solomon's life. That he started off as the son of David, the king, after God's own heart. And then has he became king. He had his own walk with God and God established him to wisdom. But something happened in King Solomon's life. Notice with me in 1 Kings chapter number 11. Notice with me in verse number 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Now notice that word strange. You'll find this principle in Proverbs. It's funny that King Solomon warned the reader against strange women. What's the idea of strange women? Does that mean that they're all cross-eyed and they all look goofy and whatnot? The idea of strange in the Bible is something that does not belong to you. And Solomon had a wife. We had read the love story. But somewhere along the way, he began to get involved with strange women. Women that did not belong to him. But because he was king and because of his prestige, he started to get involved with other women who were not good for him. Notice as it goes on, verse number one. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zoadites, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you for that surely they will turn your heart after their gods solomon clave unto these in love and he had 700 wives princesses 300 concubines and his wife turned away his heart now god had said in the mosaic law don't go with these other women because they're going to turn your heart so solomon said guess what let's go with all these ladies and guess what happened they turned his heart by the way we had mentioned this earlier with Jacob and dealing with the idea of polygamy, having more than one wives. God had intended one woman with one man forever. And part of it is because they're supposed to be one flesh. And that's not just in body, but of spirit, soul, and body. Well, if you have more than one wife, there's no way you can pour all of your intimate self, your body, your soul, your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations into one woman and have all these other women on the side. You lose that ability. Well can you imagine Solomon's household? 700 wives. And 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women you got to try to keep happy. That's an impossible task. Even for the wisest man. Now some of these granted are political marriages. Meaning that someone said Solomon. Will you marry my daughter? And knowing that if you marry my daughter. You're not going to conquer my kingdom. That's a good trade. And so they would have political marriages. And they had other things. Some of them were political. Some of them were because he lusted. But at the end of his life. God had warned him. And he stopped walking with God. And he had one wife that he was trying to make happy that day. That was the mistake. And said, oh, I don't want to go to your temple. I want to go to my temple. Why don't you do what I want you to do? Okay, in order to be pleased to you, I'll go to your temple. And they perform their services. Another wife would say, listen, you went to her temple. Why don't you come to my temple? And so he went to go try to keep her happy and to keep peace in the home. And there was no way to keep peace in the home. And next thing you know, he started to serve this God and this God and this God and this God. Mainly to try to keep those other ladies happy. But as he's trying to make them happy. And as he's serving these other gods. He's neglecting his own personal walk with God. And his heart's now away. And to so many different pieces. And it's gone. And this goes on year after year after year. And his heart has grown cold. 
His heart is now hardened towards God. He is no longer looking to be pleasing to God. And as time goes on, he becomes an older man. With that, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, the last of the po- uh, uh, second to last of the poetical books. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And we'll look at a couple verses within Ecclesiastes. But as we turn there, Solomon has now entered the last part of his life. He has been away from God for a long time. And his heart has become cold and calloused. It's hardened. And he no longer has a close relationship with God. When we see the book of Ecclesiastes, there are two phrases that pop up over and over. The first phrase is under the sun. Under the sun. And the idea of under the sun carries the idea. It's a poetical way of saying without regard to God. So when someone's living under the sun. They're saying I'm living my life without regard to God. It's a poetical way of stating that. The other phrase that you'll find in the book of Ecclesiastes over. Is vanity of vanity. The word vanity carries the idea of empty. And so what he's saying is that it's empty. This is empty. This is empty. This is empty. And as you put those two phrases together, what you see the key idea of the book of Ecclesiastes is that when you live your life under the sun without regard to God, your life becomes empty. Empty. And as King Solomon is writing this, he's looking back in his life and he's looking back and he says, guess what? I studied to become knowledgeable in everything. You see, Solomon just didn't like animals. He became a zoologist. He just didn't like plants. He became a botanist. He put himself to study all of these subjects. He was someone of science, someone of nature, someone of these things. And he says, I studied all of these things. And let me give you the conclusion of the matter. It's empty. Empty. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. All life is vanity under the sun. If you don't mind, let's highlight a couple different things that we see together as he just records this emptiness that he has. Again, he's an older man looking back at his life. He's taking stock of his life where he's at now. And he's saying, my life is so empty. He says, I know all these things. I have all the money. I have all the wealth. I have all the pleasure anyone could ever want. And none of it's fulfilling. And by the way, no matter what the world offers you, it will never satisfy. No matter what you try to invest in, it will not satisfy unless it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice if you don't mind, let's pick a couple verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, All is vanity. Notice with me chapter 2 verse 11. Chapter 2 verse 11. Then I looked on all the works of my hands had wrought. And on the labor that I labored to do. And behold. All was vanity. And vexation of spirit. There was no profit. Under the sun. Notice in verse number 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 17. Notice what he said. Therefore. I hated life. Why? Because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous to me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now again, we're just getting some summary statements, but here's Solomon, the wisest man. If you go back and read the account in first Kings and look in the book of uh, second Chronicles and see all the things that was attributed to Solomon, the accomplishments, the things that was done, all the things that God allowed him to do. And Solomon's looking back at all of it and says, you know what? I hated it. I did all this work and I look back at it, just empty. It left me empty. It didn't satisfy because I'm missing something major in my life. He says, I hated life. Can you imagine the richest man in all the world making an announcement? I hated life. You look at the smartest man in all the world To give the announcement. I'm the smartest man. I hate life. Look at the man who has any pleasure that he wants. Any entertainment. I hate life. I hate life. Why? Because it's so empty. It's so vanity. That I'm living my life. And I haven't been living it in regard to God. 
Without God, nothing satisfies. I filled my heart up with all these things. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in chapter 7. Again, we could go verse after verse. I'm just hitting some highlights here. Notice with me in chapter 7 and verse number uh, 25. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 25. I applied mine heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. And to know the wickedness of folly. Even the foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets. By the way, he's an expert on that subject now. And he says, and her hands is bands. Whosoever pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken from her. Notice, he's going through and he says, I set my heart up, try to be the wisest man. I actually study these things. And let me tell you a conclusion I came to. Is that all these women put me in more bondages, more snares, more nets. And I'm more miserable than ever. They didn't help me at all. They didn't satisfy me at all. Then finally he gets to the end of the book and notice the conclusion of the whole matter. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. Ecclesiastes chapter number 12. And notice with me at the end verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Here he summarizes. Here's an older man at the last stages of his life. Who's looking back at his life. And for the last several years he's been living away from God. No longer in fellowship with God. And now he's looking back and says let me give you the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. He says, let me tell you, I brought all of this to tell you. Just do what God tells you to do in the first place. Learn from him. He's giving the underlining tone. This is what satisfied. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is why we're here in the first place. Is to obey what God told us to do. Verse number four. For God shall bring every work into judgment. And every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Here's a man at the end of his life who's realizing he's going to have an encounter with God. And he's going to stand before God and give an account. And he says nothing's going to be hidden. Everything's going to be revealed. Every secret thing. And everything's going to be judged according to God. Whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, there's one more thing about the book of Ecclesiastes that we find very interesting. We know within the authorized version that whenever you see in the Old Testament the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is going to carry the personal name of God, Jehovah. And you can see those that have a personal strong relationship with God, they will use the personal name of God because of the familiarity that they have. But in the book of Ecclesiastes, you will never find the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You don't find the personal name of God. In fact, the only title for God that he uses primarily is this idea of G-O-D, the proper name of God. And what you learn from here is that Solomon at the end of his life, he no longer has this close relationship and he doesn't feel close to God. The only way that he can address God is by his proper title of God. Because even now, Solomon is not right with God. And he's far away from him. And we could see what happened in Solomon's life. He allowed something to interfere with his personal walk with God. That's the thing that needs to be worked on the most. There are people who are satisfied with quote unquote fire insurance. Sure, I've accepted Christ. And they think that's all that there is in life. Let me tell you, there's much more than this for you. God has a desire not only to save you and have a different relationship. God has a desire to have a close fellowship with you. God wants to have a walk with you. We sang the song earlier that I walk in the garden with him. That's what God wants with you. He doesn't want just to be a faraway God who gives commandments and we say yes sir and begrudgingly do it. God wants to have an intimate, close fellowship. Why did God create man in the first place? For fellowship. What broke that fellowship? Sin. Why did Jesus die? To forgive us of that sin, to restore that fellowship. That's what God wants in the first place, is a personal walk with God. May we say it this way? God desires friends. 
The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that he that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's not two separate statements. That's one thing. That there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That's Jesus Christ. And if we want to be his friend, we must show ourselves friendly. We must work on having this personal relationship with God. It's a cheap illustration. I've used it before, but it's still apt. Of an old couple, they'd been married for many years, and they're driving down the road in the old pickup truck. And the wife looks at the distance between her husband and her, and she looks at him and says, You remember the days where we drove down in this old pickup truck, and we were close together? And the husband who's driving looks over and says, I didn't move. We know in our relationship, it's us that moves. God's here the whole time. And that you're always as close to God as you want to be. That your relationship, your fellowship with the Lord right now, it's honestly because that's where you want to be. You can always be closer. In fact, that's the whole Christian life is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. That He's our goal and we're constantly after Him. And let me tell you, there are so many people who live their life and at the end of their life, they're like Solomon and said, listen, I have riches. They don't satisfy. I have women. I have relationships. But they don't satisfy. I have family. But when it's all said and done, it doesn't satisfy. I have knowledge. I have entertainment. But none of those things satisfy. They just become empty. They may give you pleasure for a moment. But when you're all by yourself and no one's around, there's an emptiness when you don't have a close relationship with God. And I'm trying to encourage you tonight, folks. You can have that relationship with God. You can have that fellowship with God. And that's what God desires. And you right now are as close to God as you want to be. May I ask a question? Are you closer to God right now than any other time in your life? If that statement is no, may I tell you bluntly and plainly, you're backslidden. If there's ever a time where you were closer with God than you are right now, you're backslidden. But here's the good news. He's always waiting for you to come back. At any time, you could come running back. He loves you that much. First John 1 John 1.9 If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God desires to be friends with you now. You said, but you don't know how many times I've turned away from God. Oh, but let me tell you, I may not know what a sinner you are, but I know what a Savior He is. And his desire is still the same. He wants that close fellowship with you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.